ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast, proudly presented by Rotoworld and NBC Sports. I'm DJ Short, and with me here once again is Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. Thanks to those of you watching on Twitch this afternoon, and for those of you listening in podcast form or watching later on YouTube, we're recording on Monday. And just some quick programming notes here at the top. Episodes will be a little sporadic in the next couple of weeks. No Waiver Wire Wednesday episode this week. I'm actually working on the Rotor World Football Magazine this week. I'm leaving tomorrow to travel for that. Uh, we're also off next Monday, but we'll be back for another Waiver Wire Wednesday episode next week. But for today's show, we're mostly going to focus on the state of starting pitching two months into the season. And Scott, while some things have stayed the same, I feel like a lot has changed. Yeah, it's it's ugly out there, man. Um, I'm having trouble picking up starting pitchers I can use. I've tried to yeah. make some trades. It's not easy to do because a lot of your league mates are struggling at that position too. Every, every season has different nuances to it. I think the difficulty in finding starting pitching has been the biggest challenge for me in fantasy baseball 2023. Uh, no doubt. I'm in the same boat. And especially with the all the, all the injuries that we have seen, uh, like my TGFBI league, I've just been hurt by not having Brandon Woodruff, not having Tristan McKenzie. Basically sunk my season in that league. McKenzie made his return on Sunday and looked awesome, but it might be too little too late uh, for my team. But the injuries have made it hard. We've seen a lot of prospect pitchers come up with varying degrees of success. Um, we're going to see another one tonight, Andrew Abbott, uh, with the Reds. Uh, fantastic numbers in the minors, but of course you never know with prospect pitchers. So, you know, Adam, hope for the best. Uh, I added him in one league, and uh, we'll see what happens with Abbott. You know, it's nice to see these young pitchers come up, but it is – you know, it's a wild card, a uh, wild goose chase, I guess. For sure. Wide range of outcomes with those guys. Um, yeah. And some of them have actually you know, hurt your team. But yeah. if you see the plausible upside, you have to move. In one of my leagues, my co-manager and I, we made a trade for Marcus Stroman. And we're like high-fiving each other. We're, oh, my God, we got Marcus Stroman, who I, I didn't realize. I, I just I, I just wired to think, oh, Marcus Stroman, he's just like a nice support middle of staff guy. You and I are going to reveal our top ten pitchers going forward. I don't have Marcus Stroman on that list. I considered him yeah. though. That that's yeah. how, that's one a statement of I think how underrated Marcus Stroman has been. But also right. just it, it's the names. We're at a time where it's like you could set your watch by Verlander and Scherzer. I'm not trying to kick you because I know you're a Mets guy. Um, we don't Blame. know how many innings Kershaw can be counted on. You know, it, it's a time where a lot of big names just haven't been reliable for different reasons. Right. And I, I find my, I found myself considering the top ten list. I can't believe I'm going to do a full shuffle up for the starting pitchers later this week. But I can't believe some of the guys I considered. I can't even believe some of the guys who were on my list. Yeah, I'm with you. And as a Mets fan, like anytime Scherzer or Verlander pitch these days, I have no idea what will happen. Mm -hmm. And it's weird to think that with them because for so long they were just so super reliable. I think Verlander will probably hit his stride here sooner or later. Uh, he's definitely had moments of brilliance since returning. And Scherzer's been really good recently, too. But you're kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
recently. Maybe that's just Mets fandom in general. I'm not sure. Also, maybe it's kind of ironic that the news has been percolating out. It sounds like Steven Strasburg's career is over. Yeah. Which, man, I mean, you, you know, he had a great career. I mean, he, he did. I, we'll never forget the the debut, the 14 strikeouts, right? Yeah. That's a game I think we live blogged on Yahoo and we all watched together. And I used to joke, and I and I say this with, you know, this empathy in the back of this, but I used to call him Strasburg, where it's like you never knew when he was going to need an IL stint. You never knew how many games you could really count on for him. But, I mean, what I wouldn't give for 100 innings of Steven Strasburg right now. Yeah, I mean, I, that debut was an event. You know, one of the most hyped prospects in recent memory, Bryce Harper's in that mix too, but they both were worthy of it. And Strasburg came up right away and showed his potential – uh, that game against the Pirates. Go back and watch it sometime. Like I, I feel like it's on the same level as like the Kerry Wood start that we always talk about. Like it was that incredible of a start. And Strasburg had a good career. Yes, he was hurt a lot, but had that run in the World Series with the Nationals, helped them win a championship. There was the Tommy John first year back shutdown thing. It was a big controversy, but uh, he got a chance to redeem himself. After that season, he got the big contract and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. It's a real shame. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but he was a very, very good pitcher. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he had won a Cy Young or not. I guess his best finish was third in 2017. He did lead the league in wins in 2019. He led the league in strikeouts in 2014. And I guess the reason why he probably didn't have better Cy Young placement is because a lot of these seasons he was 28 starts, 23 starts, 24 starts, 28 starts. And you need a certain amount of volume usually. Unless if you're gonna win the Cy Young and not make that many starts, you gotta do what DeGrom did. You're gonna be so much better than everybody else that they can't deny uh-huh. you that award. And just mentioning DeGrom's name makes me sad because I hope we're not having this this Strasbourg postmortem discussion about DeGrom in a year or two. I, I hope I don't think the Rangers maybe made the most prudent purchase. It's it's funny. The Rangers are having a great season. It's it's all because of their offense. And also because of Nathan Eovaldi, I did not put him on my top 10 list, but I I had to consider him. I guess they're getting Jacob DeGrom production. They're just getting it from Nathan Eovaldi and not Jacob (laughs) DeGrom. But I I just, at this point, I would, I just love to see DeGrom get, have a 30 start season at one point. I I just want to see one more year. And that's why a good friend of mine is a Dodgers fan. And we'll swap notes every time Kershaw pitches because you just don't know how much longer he's going to be around. I felt that way when Vince Scully was, in the final few laps of his career, it's just like I'm going to yep, enjoy every Vince game. I'm going to take every every opportunity to savor this guy, and that's kind of how I am with Kershaw right now. And right. I guess to an extent, I'm I'm kind of there with Degrom too. You just don't know how many starts they have left in their arms. Right. So you you look at Kershaw, Scherzer, Ver- Verlander, no brainer Hall of Famers, right? Yes. Uh, for sure. Gar- Garrett Cole is on that track too. I would say current starting pitchers otherwise like is if Jacob deGrom like let's just say unfortunately something you know he doesn't really pitch a full season again is he a hall of famer right now you know i always joke that they have hall of fames for nirvana not Huey lewis in the news that there should be like a kofax <laughs> a terrell davis if you're a comet if you're undeniably great you know like yeah. legendarily great for a short amount of time that means more to me than if you're really good for a long period of time you kind yeah. of compile your way into the hall of fame I would have no problem if DeGrom made it. I don't think he's going to. I mean, he's 84 yeah. wins. It's funny. Yeah. The 300-win pitcher is probably dead. We're at a point now where 200 wins may be what 300 wins used to stand for. Yeah, for sure. If DeGrom had 130 wins, 140 wins, 150 wins, I think he would sail in. I just think people are going to see 84 wins and say, I can't do this. He's, he's hmm. going to be – it's funny. And I think we've talked about this guy in passing. The the former Mets pitcher who I really think had a poor Hall of Fame shake was Johan Santana. I'm not yeah. saying he's necessarily a Hall of Famer, but the, the idea that they closed the case on him immediately or just about immediately seems silly to me. I think he's right. borderline. I have no problem with Santana was in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. And I, I do think the thing about DeGrom that – Let's say you know his career is shorter than we expect right now. He's never not been great. That's the thing. You go back every season, he was fantastic. I mean, he got better over time, but there was no season where he was bad. And I think that's the best case for Degrom to potentially be a Hall of Famer. We'll see. Does he have, does he have the best strikeout to walk ratio in history? I'm looking at his baseball reference page and I see his career stats, and it's in gold. So I guess that hmm. 5.38. Uh, granted, he plays in a different era where it's right. easier to have a great strikeout to walk rate, but still. That is a good, it's a good question. Uh, yes, it's, he's number one all time right now. Chris Sale right behind him, by the way. 
There's another uh, yeah. guy. There's another guy sale, right? All, all he'd probably need is one or two more great years. And he was having a really strong year. I faded him hard before the season, but as a Red Sox fan, yeah. I was happy to see him pitching well. And, and also to see sale. I don't know sale personally, but he's always kind of had like an antagonistic relationship sure. with the press and the public. And it seemed like this year he was just kind of laid back a little bit more and enjoying baseball a little bit more and appreciative that he was healthy again. Right. I mad respect for what he's pitched through. I, I know he's pitched through injuries before. He's obviously was part of a championship team in Boston, but another contract that's not going to age well. And, and look, I, I get it. These teams have to try something, right? I mean, look at the Rockies. They threw all this money at Chris Bryant. Is Chris Bryant done in his early 30s? It's, it's starting to look like maybe he is, but I'd rather the teams at least try something. You know, sure. Rangers try to get to you know, try to get to Grub, see if it works out. I know the yeah. Simeon deal was panned last year. He, he looks like that's actually working out. Corey Seager, if he's healthy, I think will be a good deal for them. But I'd rather see the teams at least try. And even if it doesn't work out, like in the case of Chris Bryant, it looks like it's not yeah. going to. Yeah, that's I mean, that's great for fans to see to see uh, teams trying. So we're definitely fans of that. We'll get into this in a second. But I did have a trivia question for you real mm. quick. So best single season strikeout to walk ratio of all time. Who is it? Single season strikeout to walk ratio. I guess it's this recent. Is it, recent. I'm going to guess Pedro Martinez, but I suspect you wouldn't ask me if that's who it was. No, it's Phil Hughes. Of course it's Phil Hughes. <laughs> it was in uh, 20, 2014. He was amazing that season. Uh, so 2014 had a had a 3.52 ERA, but 186 strikeouts, just 16 walks and 209 in two-thirds innings. Pretty amazing. That's always going to be a trivia question. Was that with the Yankees or the Twins? That was with the Twins, I okay. believe. Okay. Yeah. That was his first season with the Twins. Well, we like trivia here. I'll ask you a trivia question. One of my favorite questions. You may have seen this before on Twitter because I know I've asked it before. What pitcher who is still current, still active, has the most all-time Cy Young shares without ever winning the Cy Young Award? I feel like we've talked about this before, and I should know. It's Chris Sale. It's a great guess. Chris Sale is one of the the best wrong answers you can give. Okay, I don't know it. Uh, he's <laughs> somebody what somebody near and dear to half of the Roto World staff because I, I always think of the Roto World staff. Oh, Adam Wainwright. It's it's Adam Wainwright. Yeah, Garrett yeah. Cole's also awfully close to that. If if Cole charts this year, he may pass Wainwright. If he yeah. charts, it doesn't win. But Wainwright has been uh, close to winning the award. He's probably a Hall of Famer too. He, you know, him and Molina are going to be really interesting cases because I can see the the votership going either way on those guys. I think Molina should be in. I think I'd like to see Wainwright get in, but if he doesn't, I don't understand. Also, I, I don't want to get into the reasons why, but Kurt Schilling is so grossly overqualified on the field. And if he, it's true, you know, I mean, would, was maybe a better human being and kept his mouth shut <laughs> a little bit, you know, didn't say some of the crazy things he said, yeah. um, he'd be in the hall of fame. Um, just yeah, no that, that resume speaks for itself. Right. Uh, it was pretty cool yesterday on the Peacock uh, broadcast. Uh, Pirates and Cardinals. Pirates actually swept the Cardinals this weekend. Albert Pujols made his broadcasting debut. He was in the booth with Bob Walk. Uh, it was a good broadcast. They even did an in-game dugout interview with Adam Wainwright. So he had Wainwright mixing it up with Pujols. Uh, today it was announced actually that Pujols is going to be uh, an analyst for MLB Network. So his uh, broadcasting career, his second career, is starting to take off. And, uh, you know, he can add so much to the broadcast with just his, uh, you know, his hitting knowledge. And, I mean, think about days we'll maybe have Pedro Martinez and Albert Pujols on the same desk breaking down a, you know, a game on a Tuesday night. I mean, that's pretty awesome right there. For sure. And by the way, you're nice to let me mention both the Mets uh, veteran pitchers not pitching well and Adam Wainwright, who threw that that curveball to Carlos Beltran that I'll never forget that knee buckler to, to yeah. end the NLCS that year. It yeah. Pujols, Pujols was always known as being one of the smartest hitters in baseball, just not ridiculously dedicated and, you know, a physical freak and everything, but just a really smart hitter. And mm-hmm. um, of course he had to become a guest hitter kind of the last quarter of his career. And I, I, I always think of him as a, as a Cardinal. And, and, you know, it was kind of cool last year, his last year, he had some, he had some run, right? I mean, he had some, very good. yeah, it's cool to see that. Yeah. Like I mentioned the Cardinals. I remember when Will Clark was on the Cardinals at the very end of his career. Maybe I don't even remember this. I just saw it in baseball reference. He got traded to the Cardinals and like hit like 350 for the rest of the year or something like yeah. that. I love guys who go out with that final season. Boomer Sison, yeah. his final season in the NFL. He Buster Posey. Away. Yep. Posey had it. Um, and some guys just are good their entire careers. I mean, David Ortiz was good his entire career. But I love the guys who just get that last whiff 
of, of relevance. Mike Messina, of course, good his whole career. He famously yep. finally won the 20 games in right. his final season. And it was still the Yankees were like, yeah, we, you know, pitch for three more years. We'd love to have you. Messina yeah. said, that's it. I'm done. And justly, right. a guy who a lot of people thought was borderline, I thought was certainly overqualified for the Hall of Fame. And glad to see Messina's in there. Yeah, Mariano Rivera was great until the end, too. So it's, it's nice to see when players go out kind of on their own terms and at the, mm-hmm. at the top of their game. So before we get into our new top 10 starting pitchers, uh, effective the start of June, uh, just remember, download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. So, Scott, I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, if you want to list your new top 10 starting pitchers, we'll get into where things were in March and where these pitchers were drafted. But uh, just list off your top 10, then I'll do the same, and then we'll kind of compare uh, where we were in March. 1 to 10 or 10 to 1? Let's do 10 to 1. Let's okay. uh, let's give a little suspense, I suppose. Okay, well... Joe Ryan's my 10 guy, uh, whip master. I know he's not ridiculous with the strikeouts, but he's always going to have a great whip because he just doesn't walk anybody. I like that Minnesota defense. I don't know who Corbin Burns is. I actually traded for him in the league, despite my friend Frank Schwab, who's a big Brewers fan, saying he's worried about Burns. He hasn't had mm-hmm. the the wipeout pitches this year, and the strikeout rate is down, but I still have him at number nine. Framber Valdez, I think, a very easy guy to watch. I, I toyed with having Valdez much higher than eight on my list. But maybe his back class doesn't merit it. But this year, his ratios have gone down. He gets a lot of ground balls. Houston's got good infrastructure. Kevin Gossman hasn't bothered him going to the AL East. He's getting tons of strikeouts. Another guy who gets ground balls by the bucket load. Luis Castillo is just one of those guys, every time he pitches, I expect seven innings, two runs, seven or eight strikeouts. Sometimes he gets a win. Sometimes he doesn't. But Luis Castillo has an extremely high floor. I don't know how many starting pitchers we could say that about. Zach Gallen, part of an underrated Arizona team. He's had a rough patch the last couple of starts, but Zach Gallen is a number one on any fantasy roster. Shane McClanahan, who may win the AL Cy Young this year. Everything's coming up. Rays, he's a guy, again, every time he pitches, you expect a deep start. You expect a lot of strikeouts, a really easy guy on the on the emotions. Shohei Otani, what can't he do? Um, I considered him as high as two. I have him at three. I don't think I need to pitch him on Shohei Otani. Yep. Jared Cole has not pitched like he deserves the number two slot right now, but just on back class, just on the strikeouts he's going to get and the volume, I did have him at two. But if somebody said they preferred Luis Castillo to him or Fran Valdez to him or Kevin Gossman to him, you might be right. I mean, you'd, you'd have a yep. certainly like a 48-52 chance at worst of being right. And Spencer Strider, here's to you, man. I know you only throw two pitches. It doesn't matter. You're a strikeout ace. You're on the best team in the National League, maybe the best team in all of baseball. Although I struggled with the overall co- composition of my top ten list, Strider was an easy number one for me. Yeah, spoiler alert, Spencer Strider is my number one too. But I'm going to start at number 10 here, Framber Valdez. I I toured with putting him higher because I think he deserves it. You know, ratio-wise, ERA, I still think the Astros lineup is going to be better as the season moves along here. I have Corbin Burns at nine, uh, and he was my number one at the start of the season. Uh, He's been disappointing. No, No two ways about it. This isn't about bad luck. 3.75 ERA strikeouts way down velocity down a tick walks way up so i have to move them down until we see better results i have luis castillo at eight zach allen number seven joe ryan number six for me uh one hiccup last week against the astros but otherwise he's been money uh switched up the pitch mix which you love to see uh and that correlate to the success that he's having Kevin Gosman has been awesome with the Blue Jays. Doesn't matter. He's in the AL East, like you said. Somehow only four wins, but I uh, can't really fault anything he's done so far. Shohei Otani at four. The only negative is that he pitches basically once a week. Um, makes it a little harder, maybe in like a head-to-head type of league. But, uh, you know, the strikeouts there in bucketfuls. Garrett Cole, number three. I think just by virtue of the AL East, Yankee Stadium, there's going to be some games where he gives up two homers, three homers. Uh, but for the most part, volume-wise, I think he's as good as it gets. Shane McClanahan, number two, leading the league in wins and has the ERA, the ratios, strikeouts. And, yes, Spencer Strider, number one for me as well. So he is, he's our hes our guy. I, I don't think we're going to see maybe the innings counts with Strider as we would with a Cole or a Gosman, but – in terms of pure net strikeouts that you get in those innings, it's far and away the best. He's also 
on arguably the be- one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm all in on Strider as well. Yeah, that strikeout count just jumps off the page. You know, he's already yeah. at 113. A lot of guys are in the 60, 70, 80 range. Yeah. So our dear listener is saying, well, what about so-and-so? Uh, yep. I'm looking at the banked five five by five value for starting pitchers. Nathan Eovaldi, you probably drink for free on this one. He's the number one pitcher in five by yep. five value because he has the eight wins, but still 2.24 ERA, 0.93 whip would play in any league. Uh, he didn't make our, and I, did, I didn't consider Eovaldi, although I certainly respect him. And I think he'll be a, a playable, what is he, a top 15, top 20? Where, where does he slot if we went deeper? He's definitely in the top 20. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of guys in that mix, you know, 10 to 20, because you, you look at, let's look at where things were in March and like the players have been booted out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, yep. Jacob DeGrom, Aaron Nola, Brandon Woodruff, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. I mean, Zach Wheeler is not even in this top 10 on NFC. I mean, there's so many pitchers who are right on the cusp and it's like, they're healthy or they hit the ground running mm-hmm. again, like that could bump them out. But so did I, you I mentioned the two, for, did you mention the two Philly pitchers, Nolan Wheeler? Yes. Nolan yeah. um, Wheeler, uh, who've been disappointing too, no doubt. I think some of that's defense, but Nola isn't missing as many bats as we're used to seeing either. Right. I mean, Sh- Shane Bieber, every red yep. flag is Bieber. pointing the wrong direction on him. Dylan Cease has an ERA in the mid fours. He's got a terrible walk problem. Yep. Uh, U Darvish's ERA just pushed over four. Yep, man. Yeah, Julio Urias is hurt right now. Um, Musgrove hasn't been great. I mean, you can go on and on with it with these guys. So, uh, but all it takes is you know a good three or four starts, and suddenly they're right back where you expect them to be. So let's talk about some of the other surprises. Marcus Stroman is currently the starting pitcher six, and I mentioned being excited about getting him in a trade. Two point three nine ERA, one one even WHIP at one. He's yeah. not going to be that good. How good is Mark Stroman? What, what did I get in this trade? I think there's a ceiling. You know what I mean? But he's had good seasons before. Mm-hmm. And there's a good defense behind him. He keeps the ball on the ground. Uh, he throws strikes. He's not going to – he's just not the upside of some of these other fantasy aces. But can he have an ERA in the low threes the rest of the way? I think it's perfectly reasonable to think that. But I do think, like – if you have some depth in starting pitching, I would probably try to sell on Stroman. You're not necessarily selling to like put one over on anybody, but like you're maximizing the value. Yep. I still think it can be valuable the rest of the way, but this is probably the peak Stroman right now. Right. It's about timing the market for sure. Uh, Christian Javier is eighth right now on the pitcher board. Merrill Kelly, who's yeah. who's a little bit screened because everybody is in love with Gallon and justifiably so. True. But Merrill Kelly is a. Uh, what is he ninth? I think on this list, Eduardo Rodriguez unfortunately is hurt right now, but having a, a yeah. great comeback season for the Tigers. Mitch Keller Mitch playing Keller, for a Pirates yeah. team that's going to be in contention all year. I would have loved to have put Kershaw, who I think thirteenth or fourteenth on this list. I would have loved to put him in my top ten. I just don't think the volume is going to be there. At some right. point, I think they're going to give him that load management. Look, the Dodgers are in the playoffs already, unless everything goes wrong, and they need Kershaw for the October game. So there's no way they're going to let him get to a crazy amount of innings. And then there's like pitchers who it's like, where did this come from? Like Tyler, I had no idea Tyler Wells had a 3.29 ERA and a 0.85 whip. I know the Orioles are a team that we want to be more proactive with, but I missed out on Wells. I've been fading John Gray for years and he's really sticking it to me this year. 2.5 ERA, 1.04 whip. I have a lot of shares of San Francisco pitchers. Unfortunately, I think Logan Webb is many of those shares. He's been great. Uh, The Seattle pitcher, George Kirby is really easy to watch. He's on this list. Zach's Eflin. Sonny Gray, um, the whip's a little bit high with Gray, just some of the guys um, in the top 25. But it's, it's just crazy how different this list is. And maybe every year is like this. And I, if we went back to previous years, we just see that starting pitching is just so volatile and erratic. And we know the pitch, pitching's an unnatural act. Guys get hurt. Guys are all constantly changing what pitches they throw, how they throw them, what, what pitching coaches they listen to, what catchers they throw to. We've even thrown in different rules this year that have made pitching just a lot more unusual this season than or different this season than different years so perhaps if we were to do this in any june of any season we'd have a similar board but this feels especially chaotic to me do you feel like the pitch clock impacts starting pitchers is there any correlation at all between the pitch clock and pitchers getting hurt until i see some tangible proof of that i'm gonna have to assume the answer is no but i don't 
we're not anywhere close to having an answer on that. And I, I've seen people really smart who are suspicious of it. I've seen people really smart who are like, no, you know, I, I don't think there's anything really to be worried about here. So I, right. But we don't know. We, and I, I know you, it's not, it's not satisfying to say that, that we have yeah. to wait, you know, that you, you won't know the answer for, for a few years probably. But right now my answer is probably no. Do you think that for like the older pitchers suddenly having this pitch clock is a, is a detriment to their process? That seems to make intuitive sense, although it's probably on a case by case basis that some people yeah. just probably handle change easier than other people. You know, maybe, maybe some quarterbacks in the NFL can go from offense coordinator to offense coordinator. It's not a big deal. Some other quarterbacks like, oh, my God, my, my world has just been tipped, top, toppled upside down. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm like anybody else. I when I get comfortable with something, I don't like to change it. I think most people right. like that. But yeah. Um, and, and also, yeah, it's case to case. I agree. Case to case. And also, somebody would say, well, what kind of pitcher is striving in this environment? I, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. You know, is it better for the control guys? Is it better for the amp up power guys? It feels like you know, ninety percent of the league is like that sometimes. But right, maybe it's something to be said for a Joe Ryan type would thrive in this environment. You know, a guy who just wants to get the ball. He's kind of like a right handed Mark Burley at times. Get the ball, throw it with more strikeout upside than Burley. And man, I miss Mark Burley. It's, it's funny how some people are like, oh, you know, you can't retrain the pitchers. They all have their routines and they have to visualize and everything. It's like, you know, Mark Burley caught the ball and threw it. Never bothered him. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't see why uh, some people were talking about, well, the pitch clock, it's going to take away the, the dramatic moments, you know, right. like the Gibson Eckersley moment. And then somebody went back to that moment and timed everything. I might've mentioned this on this pod before, and that every Eckersley pitch would have been actually inside the current pitch clock. It just seemed maybe it's because of the great you know, Harry Coyle's direction on NBC, and you had Vince Scully calling it and everything. And you know Gibson's literally hobbling up to the plate. I mean, it was basically the natural on real live TV in a World mm-hmm. Series, no less. And it ends the way it did. That maybe it feels like it's drawn out. Plus, Gibson followed off some pitches and everything. Yep. So the bat went really deep. So maybe it feels longer than it really was. But actually, it would have been timely it would have been within the pitch clock as currently constituted well that's a that's a good call that's a good call we do tend to romanticize certain things that uh in reality aren't what we thought they were um i did want to give some credit to mitch keller though you know this is a guy who was a top prospect a few years ago was pretty good last year but has really taken things to a new level so far this year three two four era and 12 starts 93 strikeouts, just 17 walks in 74 and two-thirds innings. Control has been a problem for him in the past. Another one of these pitchers like Joe Ryan, a change in pitch mix, adding Mm -hmm. a cutter to his arsenal. He now throws five pitches at least 12.4% of the time. So sequencing, keeping hitters off balance, has the new pitch. Like You could see why this is happening right now. Of course, he has the pedigree too. So uh, 410 0.79 0.79 ADP on NFC during the month of March for Mitch Keller. So that is a bargain. And then we're looking at prospect pitchers. I think Grayson Rodriguez, maybe the prospect pitcher we talked about the most in the spring, but Tanner Bybee has arguably been the best uh, rookie pitcher this season. 3-2-0 ERA, only seven starts so far, but 40 strikeouts, 10 walks in 39 in the third innings. Looks like the real deal. Cleveland knows what they're doing with pitching, so I trust them as far as that. Uh, Bybee has been money so far. Yeah, Logan Allen's been pretty good too. You know, yep. the, the case with Keller, it's just you never know when the light's going to go on. And when yep. the light seems to go on, you just ignore whatever you've seen. I mean, he, this is the third season, I guess the fourth season, he's had double-digit starts. You know, the first year, 7.13 ERA was terrible. He actually pitched pretty well, but just in five starts during the pandemic season, you probably throw that out. ERA over six two years ago. Last year, it creeps under four, but he still has walk-up strikeout. Walk-up strikeout rate was only 2.3. That's not a very good ratio. It's not playable anymore. This year, he leads the National League in strikeout to walk rate. Um, I think I said that backwards before. He's got 11.2 strikeouts per nine, two walks per nine, which is, as you said, radically improved over his previous control. When you have a pedigree and you have a pitcher that seems to be figuring it out, it doesn't matter. And this is especially true of relief pitchers, right? You, you can see guys who are lawnmowers and you look at the previous year and they were terrible. It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It just, just follow what you see. In the case of Keller, there is a debate that league, what we traded for Stroman, there is a, somebody traded Mitch Keller like a month ago and there's debate of, Oh, I can't believe they got that much for Mitch Keller. And other people are like, Oh, you're not, not hip to how good Mitch Keller is these <laughs> days. Yeah. And so that's why 
some of these trades are available sometimes. Is the, tr- the guy who's trading Keller is probably like, oh, he's really not this good. I'm going to get rid of him before that maybe the bottom falls out. And the guy trading for him is buying high, saying, you know, what if Mitch Keller is this good? Maybe I'm getting him under market. And that's so often the elixir for trades where some person thinks he's playing the market one way. Some people think he's playing the market the other way. And it, it gives both people a chance to maybe be right and win the trade. In this case, the person who got Keller probably feels validated. A pitcher I think is really fascinating so far this year. And I'm bouncing back into the original top 10 on draft mm. day, Sandy Alcantara. Yep. It's kind of shocking what his numbers look like right now. 5-0-7 ERA through 12 starts. A tad unlucky, but the control has been worse. The strikeout percentage, which was never very high, has been lower, uh, giving up more fly balls too. Maybe that's by design because I the Marlins' defense is not good at all. Uh, but still, a cavernous home park. You think that would play to his advantage? Like, what do you do? I mean, I guess it's kind of a forced hold situation if you did so, draft yeah. Alcantara, but. I, I, it's hard for me to see the optimism right now. I mean, you said forced hold, which I, I think is the only thing you can do here. You, I, I would not trade him for any depressed cost, but there was a case for fading him. Okay, well, he's through 228 innings. That'll be hard to repeat. We don't trust the defense. We know he pitches to contact a lot more than some of these other dynamic starters. So this setup for 2023 didn't look good for him. But even with all that said, we would have thought, okay, well, he'll regress to a three ERA or a 3.2 ERA or something like that. Right. I mean, nobody thought he would collapse to an ERA over five. At least the whip, the I mean, 1.22 whip isn't what you paid for, but at least it's not like horrendous. Is yeah. is uh, fielding independent fielding fielding independent pitching ERA is 3.65. I don't know the Savant page up in front of me, but usually an outlier ERA has some bad luck metrics to it. I would think the rest of the way, and again, I'm going to rank all the starting pitchers going forward, and Alcantara will be one of the toughest guys to call. I, I still think he's like a starting pitcher, low two, high three. I mean, he'll probably be 25th or 30th on my list just because it's just not that many guys you can feel good about. Right. Yeah, I think as far as XERA, he's 4.02. Okay. So, you know, he there has been some bad luck here, but when you say sometimes like a pitcher is being unlucky – Unless you take that into the context of the defense behind him, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's not sometimes it's like you got what you got behind you, you know, and the and the Marlins defense is just not good. So I, I you could see that coming into the season, like maybe this isn't, you know, he's a natural kind of regression candidate. But yeah, I mean you're not doing anything to Alcantara this year. For now, you're holding on, hoping for the best. I would still have him as a top twenty starting pitcher in, in mixed leagues right now. Uh, but yeah, because of the strikeouts, not quite as high as some of these other guys, I have to put them certainly outside the top 10 at this point. I'm getting hurt by Aaron Nola and I'm getting crushed by Zach Wheeler. Do you have any advice for me? I love, I still love Zach Wheeler. I, I I mean, he has no hit stuff on any given day. Like he's that good. We talk uh, about days Nola- those are going to be. <laughs> every time I watch him, it's not that day. Right. I, I've been on a pretty good roll with our, our Peacock uh, betting pick. So I, I'll take okay. a closer look and then I'll, I'll give you some tips uh, for the future here. But Aaron Nola worries me more. 470 ARA and 12 starts. The strikeouts are way down. And I can't quite figure out why or what's happening here with Aaron Nola right now. But I, I would have more faith in Wheeler uh, being the more valuable uh, fantasy pitcher moving forward. And at least with Wheeler, the other strikeout rate is more bettable. And you know, the XERA is 3.54, which would just only qualify as just a trifle of a disappointment if he could pitch to that. So right. he, he's almost a run unlucky. The 4.33 probably isn't a true number for him. So I can sign off on that. I mean, he's not that far removed from a 12-strikeout game, an 8-strikeout game. The thing with Nola, I've, I've, I know I've said this on the show before, I always think that his control is too good, that he, he'd he be better served to maybe you know rush some guys back a little bit or just be a little bit wilder. I think maybe right. hitters get too comfortable with Nola and they just know that everything's going to be around the plate. And maybe that's to his detriment at times. Could be, could be. I mean, uh, there's also like the narrative of like a pitcher who pitches deep into the postseason doesn't get mm-hmm. that extra month. There's like the hangover effect. Uh, Wheeler was a little bit limited during the postseason last year. Didn't pitch as often. Uh, because he did, had some kind of elbow tendonitis, something like that, I remember. But Nola was there the whole way. You do wonder if maybe that's a factor. His velocity is down. 
a tick from where it was last year. So just so maybe something to think about while we're seeing this very sudden uh, and significant uh, decrease in the strikeout percentage. Right. Yeah. And uh, from a guy who was never a dominant strikeout guy anyway. Yeah. Like, I guess he was a few, I guess in the pandemic year he was, but generally speaking with Nola, you were always drafting into volume strikeouts, not yeah. dynamic strikeout per nine. And so he, he didn't have strikeouts really to give up. Right. Right. So before we move on here, we're going to talk about weekend fab and waiver wire pickups in a minute. Um, before we do, remember Sunday means uh, MLB Sunday leadoff on Peacock. The Diamondbacks are making a journey from Arizona from Arizona to the Motor City for a battle with the Detroit Tigers at Comerica Park. The Diamondbacks have been a nice surprise so far this season, but both teams hope to move up in their divisions. The Tigers are really right there as well. Uh, find out who comes out on top by streaming MLB leadoff live 11 a.m. Eastern time exclusively on Peacock. That should be a fun one with two underrated teams at the moment. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through... It's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So you have anything else on, on starting pitchers, your final salvo, Scott, before we move on? Well, I'll mention Tommy Henry is probably going to start Sunday for Arizona. And he was somebody who I was picking up in some leagues where I was desperate for starting pitching just because he's yep. shown something of late. Uh, in, every year, he's also a two-start pitcher this week, which made him an interesting pickup. Every year I become more – I steer more and more into having an extra reliever on my staff, even if he's not in my active roster, even if he's not a closer. I just get in the quality innings. Uh, you, you got me hip to one of the Pittsburgh relievers a week or two ago who I picked up a bunch of different places. But I, I'm always on the lookout for those guys. And usually, even though I'm going to play Henry in some leagues this week because he's, he's starting twice and we'll see him on Peacock on Sunday. And, you know, Washington-Detroit is favorable matchups as well. It's not like he's pitching against the Braves twice or something like that. But when in doubt, I'm usually trying to find that lawnmower reliever, no matter if he's closing or not, and avoid a fringy starter who I'm afraid could throw six or seven runs at my ratio because it's – the, the thing, the old school thing used to be, we'll just take the starter, get two starts. But now because less wins are filtered into the rotation and so many of these lesser starters, they're only asked to go four or five or six innings at the most. Even if they lead with a, even if they lead the game in line for a win, the bullpen could, you know, could let it go. So there just aren't as many wins to be had with some of these lesser starters. I, I totally agree. I, I think there's been a couple of weeks this year where I saw like Alex Wood had a two-start week and I'm like mm – -hmm. In, in theory, like, I'm going to grab that, you know, but I believe, like, most of those starts where I used him that way, he went, like, four innings. Yeah. And the Giants. They don't, they don't want him. They don't want him pitching the third time in the order. That the, the right. ball goes off and they get him out of the game. They took him out, right. they took him out of a game with a 5 nothing lead. Right. Exactly. So, be like, yeah, definitely be careful about that because the wins may not be there and you could better fill those innings with a reliever who comes in as a buzzsaw. And gets you a ton of strikeouts. So times have definitely yeah, and, changed. And it's a zero-sum game, right? If the wins aren't going as much to the starting pitchers, well, the wins have to go somewhere. They're going to the relievers. So you may have more win equity with that reliever than you realize. Right, exactly. 
So curious this week for you, Scott, in your leagues, anybody who jumps off the page to you as far as someone that was that people were very aggressive on? I thought it was a lesser fab week. I'm, I'm looking at my TGFBI. Royce Lewis was still, for some reason, still available. Yeah, I didn't same. really have the, I didn't have the money to shove after him. He went for two hundred and five dollars and out of a wow. thousand budget. Which, you know, in that team's position, I have a good offense anyway, so I, I just wasn't going to be that guy. But I was getting players like Mike Lorenzen, Willie Castro, who I got, I think, in labor the previous week. I, I got Akil Badu in a league. I have no idea if he'll have any staying power. And, and the starting pitcher I got the most, and this may leave marks on my team, I don't know. Uh, Griffin Canning doesn't have a resume for the full season that would justify picking him up, but he's been solid the last two or three starts. And all I'm asking for is five or six innings, two or three runs, maybe a chance at a win, maybe four to six strikeouts. I'm really, I'm really lowering the bar here. I'm not asking him to, to leap over some Olympic size bar. And I don't know if I'm doing the right thing with Griffin Canning, but um, I did. He was my most added starting pitcher this week. So in my TGFBI league, again, the, the free agent budget is a, a thousand. So, you know, you have quite a bit to play with there. Uh, but still, percentages play. So, uh, you, you know, if you had a hundred dollar budget and someone for twenty five here, it'd be like two fifty. So, uh, Royce Lewis in my league went for sixty three. Now, my offense is pretty good. My pitching is terrible. So, I was just kind of like, I'm gonna sit this one out. Lewis is probably gonna go for well over a hundred. So, to see him go for sixty three, I, I do regret a little bit that I wasn't aggressive there. Did you see what happened with Royce Lewis yesterday? By the way, did not. So, so there was a play at first base and the first baseman had to kind of lean into the throw and Royce Lewis had like nowhere to go, flipped over the first baseman, head over heels, landed on his head slash neck extremely awkwardly. Like it, it's like a cringeworthy thing to watch. You should check it out. He did walk off the field under his own power. Fortunately, no concussion, anything like that. But Royce Lewis, who's, battle all sorts of injuries. Fortunately, is fine. He's off to a good start there at the Twins. So very uh, happy to see that that didn't turn out to be anything extremely bad. Uh, in TGFBI, the only aggressive bid that I made was for Adam Adovino. Uh, for some reason, was dropped. He's basically a co-closer with David Robertson. He's, he's going to get plenty of chances here as we move, move forward. I didn't win that one, but uh, in Tout Wars mixed draft, I put a very modest bid on Jamison Tyone, and I know he has been absolutely terrible, but his ex-ERA is a full two runs lower than his actual ERA. I don't see a lot of difference between his strikeout percentage and walk percentage from last year. I think he's going to figure it out and end up being a pretty useful mixed league pitcher. Yes, I do have to put him on my on my roster this week, like that's kind of the way it is in Tat Wars. Mm -hmm. Once you pick up a player, you have to keep him active for a week. Hopefully not a complete disaster. I'll probably bench him after this and pick and choose where I want to use him. I still think he's going to be useful at some point this year. Yeah. Again, we have to be creative with pitching because it's just so hard to find in labor. I mean, contention and labor mixed with a great offense and a very mediocre pitching staff. I didn't, it's funny. I, I'm really shocked that Andrew Abbott, I'm not shocked that he went for $6 to Fangraphs. I, that's not surprising mm. to me. Nobody else bid on him. Weird. The only reason I didn't is because I had kind of thrown my big dart at Yuri Perez. In in labor, you get $100 for the full season, and there's no $0 bids. So you're working with a finite. Uh, unlike in Tout Wars, for example, you can still bid $0 on a player. You can also release players who are on the IL if you bought them at the auction. So you, right. you can always you, you can, people will trade fab in that league. I don't know if you can even trade fab in labor, but so in labor you, you have finite resources and you get to have something for the end of the season because you'll just get absolutely crippled if you don't have some kind of a slush fund. So I didn't think I was going to have enough to be in the Abbott sweepstakes, and I wouldn't have gone over six dollars anyway. I'm just shocked nobody else went. So I have a Abbott. I have something on that a clarification. So I believe that Abbott wasn't eligible to be picked up in labor because he wasn't officially called up uh, yet. Now that's right. I won him in NL-only labor last night, and then Steve Gardner messaged me and said, well, actually, since he's there not you called yep. up, I, I couldn't actually have him. Yeah, Steve Gardner so, will be on top of that. So next week will be the Andrew uh, Abbott sweepstakes, should he pitch well. Exactly. Now, I, I was hoping to, to sneak in Tommy Henry for a buck, not even knowing how good he'll be. And um, yeah. only one other team made a pitch for Henry, but it was a $3 offer, so I didn't get Henry. And that's 
you know, it's it's one of the jokes I have about the fab process is, you know, the only thing worse than losing your fab bid is winning it. That whenever you lose it, you assume you did the wrong thing. You should have gone for more money when you win it. Like, oh, OK, I believe in something that nobody else believes. And it's kind of a, if you're not all in on the player, it can be a kind of weird emotional reaction to finding out which players you got and which right. players you didn't get. And because the labor deadline is midnight, I, I actually wake up and find out, you know, in, in this case, I, yeah, I that's now. yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. It's, you know, DJ, I'm old enough to remember when you went to the morning paper for your, your scores, you know, or even you know, I stay up late pretty, pretty, uh, pretty regularly, but you know, sometimes I don't stay up late. You wake up. It's just kind of cool to have something to look forward to in the morning because we live in this attention, uh, this, this time where we're, we're instantly gratified you know this is a great catch we can see it in our phones in, in 30 seconds or three minutes it's on twitter it's on the mlb page whatever it is and that's great and everything but there's something to be said for having something to look forward to you know i i don't know it's like christmas morning sometimes the first fantasy league i ever played in was a fantasy basketball league i was in middle school and okay. i managed the team with like my best friend at the time we would have like our our phone conference calls to like decide who we wanted to pick up. Then we would have to call in the roster moves. Right. Uh, and then we wouldn't get our scores until they were mailed to us. So like I would track the stuff day to day, like by you know pen and paper. It was just before like internet was everywhere in people's houses. But yeah, I would get the scores mailed to me like once a week, and we'd have to wait, and then we'd break it all down. It's totally different experience, but it was still super fun. The first fantasy football league I played in was at a place called the Courthouse in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. It was a racquetball club, and I never played any racquetball, but they had a bar upstairs. I was kind of a social member. I'd go there, have a, have a beer, have some chicken tenders, and college professor of mine would hold court, great Jerry O'Connor. I ended up being in their fantasy football league. And the way you would set your lineup is you would – Put your lineup in writing. You get a piece of paper out and say, I want to play Peyton Manning, whoever. In fact, that Peyton Manning wasn't even the league thing. This goes back to the early 90s. So you, I want to play Brett Favre. I want to play Sterling Sharp, whoever. In writing, you leave it at the courthouse on Friday night. You had to make your decision. None, none of this like Sunday morning. Yeah. You know, of course, there's no Roto World at this time, right? Yeah. You you had had to guess if your players would play or not. Right. And um, even if you made a trade, you had to put it in writing. Everything had to be in writing. And it was very understood. There's this great rule that Mike Washburn was commissioner of the league. And he said, um, collusion, it was collusion was against the rules, but there was no rule against stupidity. If somebody just made what they termed a dumb trade, they'd let it go. It's just, you couldn't not cozy up to your buddy and give him everything that you wanted. Uh, you mentioned your, your best friend at the time was running this basketball team with you. Is, is that what ended the friendship? Did you guys disagree on uh, Horace Grant or something like that? In fact, what uh, era are we talking about? Who were the players that were on your first team? You I mean, Horace Grant was probably on our team. We're talking yeah. 1995, 94. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Horace Grant was very much active. I believe Horace Grant was on the Orlando Magic at that yep, time. He was part of that wrong. great Magic team that, that went to the finals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's pretty much that that era right there. Um, before Jordan came back the second time, I guess. When did you start playing baseball? When did you start playing fantasy baseball? Um, early two thousands. Oh, I'd that say. long? Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. And football was. I was more passionate about fantasy football, uh, growing up, and you know, post college and all that, more so than baseball. I was a bigger baseball fan, but I loved fantasy football more. That's interesting. Maybe I played fantasy baseball a good four or five years before I played fantasy. I'm sorry, scratch that. I played fantasy baseball. I played fantasy baseball in the late 80s. Fantasy wow. football for me started in the early 90s. And now, as we know, fantasy football is, you know, is it's just so accessible. It's once a week. It's a couple right. times a week you have to do something, but right. it, it doesn't have the penetration level. It doesn't have, and this is, I always say, you know, let's steer into the good stuff here. If you're listening to this show, if you're a baseball you know, lifer, if you're a baseball zealot, you're a baseball fan, you probably have a better chance of winning your fantasy baseball league because the problem, what, I don't know if this is a feature or a bug, and you can decide, everybody can decide for themselves. In fantasy football, anybody can win the league. It can be the least sophisticated manager. If they get one or two things to fall right, they can win the league. The weakest mm -hmm. player in your fantasy baseball league probably has effectively no chance to win. Right, exactly. I mean, it's just that day-to-day -day dedication just like set your lineup, like, you know, check in with your team at six o'clock every night. You may see like a surprise player isn't playing and then you can put someone off your bench and put them in your lineup. Like it's just those little things like that 
that add up over the course of the season. Or even in weekly leagues, I, I guarantee you when August comes around and September comes around and people are going back to school or people's kids are going back to school and people fall out of contention and football comes around and college football's back, the team that's in 10th may not be that interested in pushing for ninth or eighth. You know, they, you, I'm always shocked at the end of the year. I talked about some of the players on the fab market this week. Oh, wow. I thought this player would get more interest. Wait till August and September comes around yeah. and a third of your league will have no chance to really do anything. And it's look, they're human. I, I it's great if everybody would just try to win one for the Gipper and stay in it the whole year, but mm-hmm. not everybody will. And just by showing up, just by continuing to grind, I, I have during September, I have reminders in my phone to set lineups on Sunday during the NFL season because it, I'm so overwhelmed with NFL work and NFL sure. interest that I got to make sure. And also, you know how wacky September baseball could be because some teams are out of it. Baseball, sometimes the lineups get really funky and you, you have a bunch of guys who aren't playing. You get to swap them out. I just remind myself, right. just get in there and do a, a full sweep before you, maybe you turn over the day to the NFL. Exactly. Speaking of NFL, I am now en route to do the Rotor World Football magazine. Talk about old fashioned. Mm-hmm. We're still doing magazines here. I'm very excited to do it. It's always really fun. So we'll be back next week. Next Wednesday will be our next episode, another Waiver Wire Wednesday episode. Thanks a lot, Scott. See you, see you next week. Remember, subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review if you like what you're hearing. You can also rate the show on Spotify. That'd be a huge help. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. I'm at DJ Short. Take care, everyone. See you soon. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.